You guys have all heard the phrase, there's a first time for everything? I believe that now more than I ever did before. I walked into the church about three weeks ago, and the first thing I saw in the lobby was the cutest little five-year-old girl looking at me with these big eyes and holding her hand out like this with her middle finger up and saying, Pastor Scott, look at this. <laughs> and I just had to pause. I looked at her, the mom and dad, and we, we started smiling a little bit, said, what? And, and then she goes on to say, it's, it's a boo-boo. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I was thinking about that. What, <laughs> what had happened there was she had taken an external action that's normally attached to a very offensive message. And she disconnected it from the offensive message. And in the process, that action became very innocent and powerless, right? And I thought, that's a good thing in that situation. But then I started thinking, what about as a church? You know, we're focused here on being out there, being active in our community. But I thought, what if we fell into the trap as a church, as Jesus people, of doing a lot of actions, but removing them from the offensive message of the gospel. That wouldn't be such a good thing. If we were to do a bunch of actions out there, but remove them, disconnect them from the offensive message of the gospel. And some of you are saying, wait a second. When I think about the gospel, I think about the good news of Jesus Christ, and nothing makes me smile more. What are you talking about, the offensive gospel? And what I'm talking about is something Paul said in Galatians 5. My fear is if we, if we do all these actions without that offensive gospel, our actions too will become innocent and powerless. I don't want that for our church. God doesn't want that for his church. He wants our actions to be full of meaning, right? So let me break down this offense of the gospel thing. Some of you are still saying, I don't get that because it's the best news in the world. What well, is after you've come to receive it? But beforehand, here's a couple reasons why it's offensive from a biblical perspective. One is, if you really teach the gospel, it teaches people that until they come to Jesus, they're dead in their sins. They're dead in their sins. That's not a popular message. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says it this way. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. Satan. So there's another part. You walk up to somebody on the street and say, hey, you're dead and you're following Satan. It's not popular. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And oh, by the way, you're by nature a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is not a popular message. That's the first reason. You're dead in your sins, okay? The second reason, if that wasn't bad enough, you say to him, hey, there's nothing you can do about it. That goes against the American dream because the American dream says, hey, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and no matter what comes my way, I'm going to get it done, right? You, the gospel says there's nothing you can do about being dead in your sins by yourself. Listen to what Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. 
It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But we like to boast. We like to be able to tell people, I did this for me. And I'm going to tell everybody I can what I did for me. So you're dead in your sins. You can't do anything about it. And here's the third part. There's only one way to fix it. And that goes against our pluralistic, relativistic culture that says, hey, all roads lead to God. Jesus steps in there in John 14, 6 and says, no, all roads don't lead to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You starting to see why we carry around an offensive message? You ever watch Intervention on A&E? In some ways, I think of it kind of like that show. On that show, they get 10 or 12 family members of someone with a brutal addiction. Maybe it's heroin or meth, you name it. And what they do at the first part of the show is they set a time for that person to show up at a place, but what they don't know is 14 of their family members are going to be sitting there in that room telling them, you have a problem that you need to address. And if you've ever watched that show, that's not a happy-go-lucky kind of moment. They sit down and find out why all those people are there, and half the time they walk out of the room. Those little beeps that you get on your TV, you get about 20 of those in like 45 seconds. Because why? They're upset. They don't want to hear that they have a problem. But we're told to carry the message of the gospel into the world. So we've got a dilemma. And sometimes what happens, because you and I don't want to carry an offensive message, what's real easy for us to do is to begin replacing that offensive gospel with good works in our lives. To where we do the good works, but we never speak that offensive message of the gospel. Now, let me go back a second. Should we be doing the good works? Absolutely. For too long, there's been too much of this in the church, and it's a pendulum where we go to all presenting the gospel, all bring them in on Sunday, but, but we're not going to be out there in the world doing good things. But what happens easily is we, we switch to all good works, and we leave that message behind. Just to confirm that we're supposed to do those good works, and I believe that, wholeheartedly. We talk about it a lot. Here's a couple verses. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. That's concrete, isn't it? It's not some ethereal, poetic idea. He laid his life down for us. That's how we know love. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Here we go. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We've got to have those words. That's part of what that that basket is all about tonight. That's part of what our missional community projects are all about. James 1, 22 through 27 Some of you guys know this. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Jump down to 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. How many of you want that? Pure and undefiled religion? religion in your life? He says, 
It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Just one more on the work side of things. We read Ephesians 2, 8, 9 earlier. You go on, though, to Ephesians 2, 10. Paul tells us we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The idea is that God laid out a series of opportunities in your life. And as you follow his spirit and his time, part of the reason you're here is to fulfill those. So no doubt good works need to be a part of what we do, a big part. So don't misunderstand me. But here's the question. What if they begin to replace that message of the gospel? This happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. How many of you know the story behind Galatians well? Paul shows up in this city, and all these people are coming to know Jesus, and they're trusting him, simple faith in Jesus. They're finding the joy with that. And then you know what happened? A group of people that came out of the Jewish church said, no, that's not enough to be saved, just to trust in Jesus. You've got to be circumcised, just like we were. And if you don't, you're not saved. And so you can imagine these new believers saying, wait a second, am I saved? Am I not I thought it was just by grace through faith. Today, we don't worry a whole lot religiously about circumcision, but my fear would be that a church like ours would, would make the subtle transition, whether we said it or not, maybe we would just act like it, that somehow it's not enough to trust in Jesus to be made right with God. You've also got to be a part of a missional community to be saved. You've also got to be down at the the food shelter three times a month. You've also got to be here at church every week. You've also got to, and you can think of the places you've been where those you also's have been added to the simple gospel that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You've, we've all had that, haven't we? We've had people tell that to us. And I wanna show you how Paul reacted to that. You wanna see the apostle Paul get ticked off? You start messing with grace. You start messing with Jesus and saying there's more to being made right with God than grace. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5, 7 through 12. These people are getting confused by these people telling them they have to be circumcised. Paul says, you were running well. In other words, you knew you were saved by grace through faith. You were enjoying that. And you were going out and, and living the life. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you, these ones that are telling you you've got to do all this other stuff, they'll bear the penalty, whoever they are. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. You see, Paul was being persecuted because he was saying, you don't have to do that. You just trust in Jesus. And they didn't like that. Here's the verse I want you to hear. Paul says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. <laughs> that's PG-13, I understand. But that's how Paul feels. You start messing with grace. 
Paul's angry, it angers the heart of God because God made a way to salvation through Jesus and he doesn't like people adding to it. I was thinking about Occupy Wall Street as we wrap this, this part of the service up. It's on the news all over the place. And I'm not going to get into whether those guys are right or wrong. I know we've got a whole myriad of opinions in here. But one common consensus among many reporters is this, that there is a whole lot of action plus a very unclear message, and that leads to minimal impact long term. Let me say that again. A lot of action, unclear message, minimal impact. And I thought, that's one thing for Occupy Wall Street. But may we never let that be said of the church, that we've got a lot of action, an unclear message, and because of that, we've had a minimal impact. Instead, what if the equation went something like this? Rock-solid faith and rest in what Jesus did on the cross for my sins leads to speaking that message in the world and living it out. And that leads to God's kingdom forcefully advancing. Doesn't that sound better? 